Hi, Fitness Business Secrets listeners. Today on the show, we have Joseph Dispenzeri. He's a gym broker and a gym consultant with over 35 years of experience in the industry. Today's show is jam-packed with information. We are going to learn things to consider if you're trying to make a successful sale of your small owner-operated personal training studio. It's hard for your business. And that brings us to the age-old question of, should you make your trainers independent contractors or employees? Now, I brought Joe on the show because I'm interested in buying and selling gyms. So we're going to learn how to use a numbers-based business plan to get bank financing for a new or purchased gym. And then we get into franchising and valuing a franchise gym business. We'll also talk about current trends affecting gym owners and personal trainers in the fitness industry today. And we're going to talk about things to consider when deciding if you should buy or open a new gym. Hint, one of the options could set you up to make profit from day one. Also, we're going to talk about which gym models are best to own and which ones to avoid at all costs. And you are going to also learn something really big. I wish I knew this. You're going to learn how to use franchising possibly to expand your locations quickly and maybe even bring on an area director. And most importantly, you're going to learn how to estimate what your gym is worth. There's so much in today's episode. Stay tuned. Fitness coaches get more clients by learning the secret techniques successful trainers and gym owners are using to grow their business in person and online. Create multiple streams of income by training clients online, selling challenges, and growing your membership. This is the Fitness Business Secrets Podcast, and I'm your host, Christy Oshita. I've built two fitness businesses to about a half million dollars each by improving marketing, sales, and operations. Let's grow your sales and your clients. Before we get to the show, I wanted us to have a one-on-one talk. One of the biggest issues business owners, not just gym owners make, is not thinking about the end. When I was starting and running my gym, I was so excited every day and I believed that my gym was going to become a franchise and it was going to be all over the world. And because I was thinking about this, I definitely did not think of another scenario, which would be that maybe I would sell the gym and I would find another passion such as fitness and podcasting, which is what sort of happened. So things change in our life. And although we imagine that our fitness business will be our child forever, we have to remember that things change in our personal life and in our passions and in our energy levels. So my first request to you in our one-on-one conversation is I really want you to think of a exit strategy for your fitness business, even if you think you're going to have your fitness business forever. Even if you're a personal trainer and you think I have nothing to sell, maybe if you build up a strong book of business, you can at least pass on your clients to another new trainer and transition them and maybe, you know, make a small amount because that really is a big benefit for a new trainer. So basically, besides thinking about your day-to-day customers, you also want to keep in the back of your mind one of the biggest customers you will have, which is the future buyer of your fitness business. So how can you make your business super desirable to buy? In the end, the person who will buy your fitness business wants to know three big things. They want to know how much money does the gym make with all of the costs deducted, including This is important to remember the cost of your management, even if you don't pay yourself that additional fee. 
So if you have mostly trainers and you manage them and you even pay yourself for the training that you do, but you don't really give yourself a salary for managing all the trainers, that's a real cost and a real position that the person who buys the business may have to factor in and would then deduct that cost from the purchase of the value of the business. Number two, they really are concerned if they will profit the same amount as you would profit when you leave. Meaning when you leave, would all of the customers leave with you or would they also just quit and maybe not leave with you but just not re-sign up because of their strong relationship with you? No one wants to buy a gym or a fitness business or any business where basically three to six months down the road, all of the customers are gone and the revenue is dried up. And the third thing is, just like if you were to buy a house, you kind of want to envision a positive, bright future. So they're looking for opportunities to grow. They want to know how much you spend here, how much are you spending there, and what are different ways that they could grow the business that you haven't thought about or haven't been able to implement that they could so that besides the money that the gym would currently be making, they could make even more. So you always want to play into that. But the main two things that you can really have control over and that pretty much it makes it black and white on what the value of your business is, is that profit that you make over all expenses, including your management cost and ensuring that the person who buys the business has a lot of confidence that they won't lose all of their customers after you leave. So how could you make them feel comfortable? So those are my big tips, ahas, uh, from my conversation with Joseph today. And you're going to hear so much more. But I really want you to focus on those two main things. Everything we talk about leads to those two main things. And so even if you know that you're going to be running your business until you fall over at 99, I still want you to create, you know, maybe a five-year plan. If you had to exit your business for some reason, how would that be? So your business is always ready to sell, although maybe you won't sell it. I hope that was helpful and enjoy the show. Our guest today, Joseph Dispenseri, is a serial fitness business entrepreneur with over 35 years in the health and wellness industry. One of his ventures, Cross Training Fitness Studio, was an in-home personal training business and also a small group and one-on-one personal training studio that had 18 trainers and at its peak 20,000 one-on-one sessions a year before he successfully sold it. He went on to start Core Fit Consulting, which consults gym owners from sales to facility design to lease negotiation and even financing. And as an extension, he also formed quote-unquote, the gym broker, which, as its name suggests, acts as a broker for gym buyers and gym sellers. Man, I wish I met him when I was selling my gym. So I'm so excited to have you with us today, Joe. Uh, Thanks for taking the time. I have a lot of seriously burning questions as a recent gym seller myself, and I really wish we had a conversation about a year ago when I started that process. I think whatever you have to say is super valuable and what your company does is super valuable. 
So to first to start off, we're going to uh, talk about valuation. And even before that, I, I, I guess I'm just curious about your background. It's a very specific niche, gym brokerage. Sure. So like, how did you get into uh, the fitness gym brokerage business? Well, the brokerage side of our business, our, our company's Corfit Consulting. So we started consulting for gym owners to help them become profitable. We trained their sales teams. Let's say a gym wasn't making money. We would come in and we would, you know, look at their financials, see where we could make changes. We have strategic partners who will, would come in and take a look at your building lease and see if we can renegotiate that. Because what we do know about the industry is the, your two biggest expenses is always going to be rent and payroll. So if we can impact those, then we can get someone to profitability much sooner, which is great for the business owner. And then if they do want to have an exit strategy to sell, it's much easier when you're selling into strength, when, you're, when your business is profitable. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it was a natural extension of the consulting business. And, and it's been great for us. I mean, we really appreciate, you know, working on the brokerage side, matching up the buyers and sellers and and putting together really great deals. Yeah. So, and then how did you, I'm not sure how big your company is or, and where, what your position is. How did your company even come into consulting for gyms? So I've been a serial entrepreneur in the industry. I bought my first gym at 24. Prior to that, I had worked for for different natural gym franchises. I was an area director. So I had a lot of experience. Each different business, I kind of honed my skills and tried to figure out what part of the market was best for me. So that turned out to be one-on-one training and small group training, which was very early on, probably early 90s. So we were kind of ahead of the curve. So I liked the high-end part of the market and, you know, built up a couple of very successful businesses, sold them, and then figured, you know, what's next for me? You know, I like the business side. I didn't want to do the day-to-day operations anymore. So consulting was a natural progression. I had worked with a consultant for years who who has passed away. His name was Michael Scudder. Great guy. And I learned a lot from him. And uh, I figured if if I could impact, you know, people in our industry, then that's something that I would want to do because we struggle. I mean, we work so hard, you know, we work long hours and sometimes we just can't figure out a way to make ends meet. So it was really important to see if we could impact those people. And then when they do want to exit, then we can help them, you know, sell their business. You know, firsthand, it's not an it's a daunting task to sell your business. So, you know, we have a lot of experience. And I mean, again, you know, I have close to 40 years experience. So I've already made the mistakes. So our clients don't have to make them. And, you know, so that learning curve is much smaller and hopefully we can impact them. Yeah, that's big. Uh, and that's helpful. I think that gives any viewers and listeners some context that you really come from a background of operations and then kind of being a overview uh, coach. So just, I know we're going to get into valuation. I'm dying to get into like how we value companies, <laughs> but I had one question because when I was running the gym, 
I mean, I, I went to like score and I got some people who had had like a dance studio, but it wasn't super helpful. And I think in my mind, I didn't, I didn't think I could afford a, a coach or consultant, but it could have definitely paid off in the long run. About how much can someone expect to pay to have a consultant help? Well, I mean, it really depends on the scope of the work, right? Okay. So normally what we do on the consulting side would be we'd come in, we'd take a look at your financials. We'd have an in-depth conversation. We're going to want to figure out how we could be most helpful. Look at the areas where, believe me, inside of one day, I know how to fix your business. Okay, now we have to go and fix it. So, and you have to take the steps to do so. But we've seen it. So every gym is different. Every gym has a different personality, different parts of the country, different marketplaces, different, you know, high end, you know, value gyms, boutiques, they're all different. So, but it's got to fit your personality. And then we've had to figure out how we can help you. So then normally, depending on the scope of work, we'll put together a proposal and it's, it's based, you know, mostly on an hourly rate, but you know, so you, you, you know, you would sign a contract with us with a retainer and then we would work those hours off, but we're going to have a pretty good idea from the beginning where we're going to start. And once you work with us, you're only a phone call away. Uh, even on the brokerage side, I talked to, after we, we close a sale, buyers are calling me constantly, especially now with COVID-19 on what to do with their businesses. And my phone is always on 24 seven to answer any questions. So we love the industry and we're happy to help. Okay. Uh, and would you say, would you say that like just someone like wants to get a ballpark idea hourly, it's gonna, <laughs> yeah. I well, just give me a range, like 125 to $250 an hour. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, well, depending on who you're working with, so uh-huh. there's me, okay, there's my business partner, Matt Moriello, and then we have uh, a couple of, of cons- consultants who work with us who are, are probably, depending on the project. So, so for instance, if it's a small group training facility, I'm going to recommend one of our consultants who's great in that area. And they're junior to us, so they're probably going to be a little less expensive. A lot of times we'll oversee the project. But then they'll go in and actually build the programs and we work together. So I would say it's probably somewhere between 100 to 250 per hour, depending on who you're working with. Okay. All right. Is that helpful? That's helpful. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Thank you for that. You, so, pin, you pin me down. You pin me down. <laughs> I, also, I need another numbers, but I, I think that's helpful. And I think yeah. that it, it kind of gives also people, it's, it, it is realistic. It, if, if it can help you get to profitability, I think that's doable. So well, um, can, yeah. Yeah. Or, or it can save you from throwing good money at bad. There are times where, you know, we may evaluate a place and, and think it's just not fixable. You know, sometimes it depends, depends on location, depends on your rent, depends on your, your business model, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen things that are phenomenal and we've, we have impacted a lot of business and made some great turnarounds, but you know, we, the one thing when you work with us is we're very realistic as far as setting our goals and expectations and you know, it's gotta be the right match, so. Okay, all right. So let, let's say someone's right in the middle, but let's say because of the current situation, it's getting a little tricky. 
How do you generate, what is the number one way you value a gym? Someone calls you, maybe they are not working with you and, but they give you their numbers. Okay. So you see the numbers and just to make it more easy to follow along, let's give an example. Okay. So for example, you got a trainer, they have a private gym, a, a private studio. They have a couple of trainers and we can do two scenarios. Let's say the first scenario is in a, in a positive situation, the trainer themselves is not training too often and the gym itself is making about $5,000. They train a little bit, but they're, and then they're not taking, that's not counting their salary. So, you know, that, that seems like a typical scenario. How much do they think how, and they're like, oh, I could definitely pass off my clients, but you know, maybe some of them won't be passed off, passed on. How much do you think they could sell their gym for? So are you talking about the after expenses mm-hmm. the gym is netting $5,000? Yes. That seems like a lot. That might be a lot, <laughs> it, it's, but it really isn't. It shouldn't be. Right. It really shouldn't be. You know, specifically, you, there's a, so there's a few factors if we're talking about a small studio, right? Yeah. So your, your, your question is, is, is spot on. So the biggest challenge with selling a studio where the owner is the face of the business is we always have to look at it from the other side. So look at it from the point of view of the buyer. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to buy Christie's studio. And Chris, it's, and it's called Christie's training. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So when Christie leaves, what am I really buying? Right. So you have to look at that. So I look at this almost like if I was buying a dental practice or a single practitioner's business, how do you replace the face of the business? So that's your, going to be your biggest challenge. There are plenty of ways around that. You know, maybe Christie stays on for three to six months and does a consulting contract and kind of eases her way out of the business. That's because that would make me as the buyer very comfortable, right? Because mm-hmm. I know that the clients are going to be around for three to six months. It's up to us to, during that transitional period, to win them over. I feel much more comfortable mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the psychology of, of the sale or the buyer coming in, right? So that wouldn't be valued as much as, let's say an owner who was very hands-off, had a manager in place who was getting a salary and the facility was profitable. That would be much easier to sell. So again, we always have to look at it from the buyer's point of view. Is that helpful? Yes, it is helpful. Just curious if, like you could give me examples, even if there's some type of goal you want to give this seller of where they want to get it to. But let's say they're like, oh, I can definitely get a manager or something. How much it could be the range? Well, all right. Well, then, so what what you'd have to do is whenever you value the business, if there's not Mm -hmm. a manager in place who's Mm -hmm. taking a salary, then you have Mm -hmm. to discount that from your profitability. Mm -hmm. So- Let's use your let's use your five thousand dollar number just for uh, an example. Okay. So let's say your your, your studio, Christie's studio, was was netting, putting mm-hmm. in her pocket at the end of the month five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. All right. So she's that means she's she's netting about sixty thousand a year, mm-hmm. right? Normally, 
that would sell for somewhere around three times that number ballpark. Okay. okay. So that gym's probably worth 180,000, assuming that she wasn't doing a lot of the training. If Christy was doing a lot of the training, then you might have to discount a little bit from there or work on the consulting contract. Like we talked before where you stay on for a while and transition the new owner to make sure that the business stays. Okay. Additionally, do the trainers sign non-compete clauses? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen this where, you know, somebody sells a business and then a month later, the trainers go to a studio down the street. Okay, not very nice, but it happens. So you wanna protect yourself for as many things as possible. We can't protect everything. You know, sometimes people will be dishonest, but we probably have seen it. So we, we're going to at least, you know, educate you from the beginning on what to look for and what the pitfalls are as you sell your business. Hmm. Okay. So then let's just to give, since I think this specific scenario is a common one regarding small uh, trainers who own yes. it, let's go ahead and do the math mm -hmm. and imagine we can kind of calculate how much they're training of that $5,000. So we can discount that out. And then maybe if you, and let's give it a, a location, which would help us determine the cost of a manager. If you want to discount that out and then we can come to a price that they could get to. And then also remind the listeners. So then this might be a goal for them if they want to bring on a manager, but it's tricky. There's, it's hard to bring on a manager. Well, and again, it depends on the facility. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking, if we're talking about a very small facility. You may not need a manager. May just you may just may just be owner operator, and that's fine. Okay. But again, the more work that you do as the owner, mm -hmm. we again always look at it from the other side. Look at it from the buyer's point of view. What would make I'm asking you? Mm -hmm. What would make you nervous about buying that business? So, yeah. what would your answer be? Your answer, I'll, I'm, I'm going to ask. It's you, absolutely it? going to be human capital. I mean, exactly. definitely things you can't control, which is humans. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and, and if that owner is doing 50% of the work and more, because I've seen it many, many times, that's a tough place to be. So with, if we go back to the, if I change hats for a minute, I go back to the consulting side. When we're consulting for an owner, we always tell them, because we always say, an owner will always say, I heard this a thousand times. Oh, they only want to train with me. Okay. Well, first of all, you're not that good. Okay. <laughs> Nobody is. Mm -hmm. And if you want to, then you should just go work for somebody. If you, if you want to be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you have to be able to, Take your knowledge and mm -hmm. teach that to your disciples, to your trainers. Okay. It may not be as good as you, but it's going to be pretty good. And then you oversee it. I'm going to give you an example. So I, I started, like I was telling you before, I started a small group training and one-on-one -on -one training facility. Now, I already had eight in-home trainers and a nutritionist working for me in the field. So mm -hmm. I opened up the studio. And before you know it, this thing exploded, Christy. We had, we built it up to where we had 18 trainers working in there. Wow. So we were doing 20,000 one-on-one sessions a year. 
Wow. That's a lot. Did you say in-home as in these were trainers going to other people's home? Yes. Was there a physical studio? There wasn't. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So the whole idea about opening the studio was let's have a place where our trainers could go train their clients. If they were close by, we would have our staff meetings there. Mm-hmm. And then we just caught the market just right. And it just, it really just exploded. But my point was you can't, oversee 20,000 sessions and still have a big book of business yourself. You just can't do it. So you have to scale. And I'm going to go back to Michael Scott Scudder again, my consultant, Mm -hmm. loved him, rest in peace. That's the thing that he taught me from the beginning because I was at that point. I was Mm -hmm. at the point where I just didn't know how to grow my business to the next level. And he was very good like kind of just talking to me and giving me back what I needed to know from my own words. So there's a lot to learn there as an entrepreneur, but you have the first step is to get past your own ego and become a teacher. If you're Mm -hmm. a teacher, you're going to scale your business. If you, Mm -hmm. if you keep all the business because you think you're the best trainer in the world, you're never going to grow. You're going to be exhausted. You may put a few dollars in your pocket, but you're not building anything. You want to build something you have to teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, I completely understand. And there's sort of like in um, the service business, you could apply, there's like a book, E-Meth, right? So you can't revisit it. So it's talking about systems. I wonder though, um, and we still have to get back to valuation because I'm not going to let you go on that one. No, 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 it's okay. I, lo- I love to talk valuation. <laughs> but I want to get into a question that you brought up that I think I faced. Maybe they don't want to train. They're done. They don't mind teaching, but they, f- they, they let it happen. They, they pass on the client and then the client complains about something. They're not happy and they feel like they're teaching. And before the pandemic, I mean, when we would try to hire trainers and the tricky thing for our business was we were women's only. So, and we were, uh, we were very strict because of the religious area we were. So we had to only have women trainers, not just women's only men trainers and women trainers. And it became so like, literally if someone applied, we would just like, please just show up to the interview because it's so hard to find staff. Like women trainers wouldn't even apply. There was so little bit. So I guess the question is, is what are your tips? Because I know there's no uh, magic bullet to this for staffing and training and being a teacher. But what are your tips for the person who says, it's just hard to find trainers. And then the trainers that I have are hard to train. Or when I do train them, it doesn't seem to work. Well, oh boy, this, there, there's, <laughs> there's so much one. here. No, yeah. it's not a hard one. It's, okay. it's a simple question, but there's, there's a lot of answers. Okay. So we have to look at the industry as a whole. All right. So if you look at since, since the financial downturn in around 2007 and 2008, yeah. what happened then was you had Planet Fitness. Okay. Then you had Retro Fitness. Yeah. You now have Blink. You have Crunch Fitness even goals and powerhouse are all now value gyms. Okay. At a low price point. And there's tons of those gyms. Then you have Equinox and you have lifetime on the top, very little in the middle anymore. Okay. Then we have to talk about your boutiques, orange theory, 2000 locations now, right? F 45 and a million other places. My point is, 
since 2007, 2008, 12 years ago, there's been a huge increase in the number of facilities and options. So you only have so many quality health and wellness professionals. So that is very, very diluted. So you're right. Sometimes you can't even get somebody to show up for an interview. So with that dilution, it's really tough, which brings me back to the point of how do you attract good talent? All right. So another pet peeve of mine, if you look at the industry, unfortunately, trainers always have, quote unquote, a blue collar mentality. How much am I getting paid for this half hour or this hour? And that's all they think about. I don't think that's a good way to do business. My facilities, if you were hired, I would bring you on. You'd build a book, book of business. I would subsidize you until you built up that book of business. But then you were an employee. And as long as you maintain a certain book of business, you were good. And you could help out with other things in the facilities. So it wasn't just about how much you made for that half hour or that one hour session. It was more about where can I hang my hat and can I build a career here? And that's a different mentality. And mm -hmm. again, you know, you were, were you in Brooklyn? Was your facility yep. in Brooklyn? Okay. So think about New York in general, all the studios that open and trainers are going from place to place, training somebody here, running uptown, going downtown, going to Brooklyn, running around, you know, they're in Soho. That's great because you get a decent hourly rate, but how long are you going to do that for? Right? That's my point. So if you want to build a career, that's a different type of, of health and wellness professional. Mm -hmm. So the challenges are dilution because there's more places. And, mm -hmm. and I think we've got to get away from how much am I getting paid for this session and how can I build a career in the industry? Right, right. I just wanted to, to get some big concepts that I, because you mentioned your, I think you said uh, Scudder, your, your coach, your mentor Scudder was like, you have to do this and this and this. He was telling you have to be a teacher and everyone's like, I love it. And then they go and try and you're like, I tried, I tried. Like that's, so yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering, cool. oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. cool. All right. So that part is easy. So and again, there's trial and error here, but constantly have to meet with your people. And mm -hmm. once they're an employee, if you call for a meeting at two o'clock on a Monday, they have to be there. If they're a subcontractor, they don't have to be there. So again, go back to the point of building a great team. Okay. Once you have your team in place, it comes down to training and role playing with them. And that's something that we could talk about even with as the gyms reopen with COVID-19, mm. what owners have to do with their staffing to make their facilities safer and make the experience still great for the member, right? Mm -hmm. So role-playing is important. Making sure that your team is very coherent. We would, we would have sales training meetings twice a week. We would also have technical training meetings every single week. So Christy, you work with me. You're one of my trainers. I would give you a topic and you're going to research it. And then you're going to present to the whole group 
and then maybe see trainers who are senior of you or, or, or junior, would everybody participates together, we share ideas. So we build a philosophy as a company opposed to individual trainers. See, that's another thing. Everybody just feels like they have, this, they have their own training style and modality. And that's great, but somewhere there's gotta be a common thread. So if you wanna build a team, when I felt like our team was, was running on all cylinders, and it was called the Cross Training Fitness Studio. Mm -hmm. This was where we did the 20,000 sessions a year. That team ran like clockwork. And it was like we hit the sweet spot. And it took time. So, but, you know, you constantly have to, you know, evaluate, make small mistakes along the way, and then hopefully find a great mentor or coach to help you, like I did. Yeah. Okay. So I, I hear, I, so I have some, I think a couple of big steps. You said uh, constantly meet, train and role play. For example, regarding constantly meet, you had sales training meetings twice a week, and then you had technical meetings once a week, and they could, they would even present and share ideas within the team. So it, it increased the team feel. And then I also hear that you're basically, you're pushing the sense of making the, the personal trainers feel like a team and requiring these meetings, which means you're really telling every, do you basically tell all your clients to change all your contractors to employees? I would say, it, again, it depends on the business <laughs> model. I, I have clients that have very successful businesses with contractors who come in. Those are more urban type of facilities, right? Okay. But something for in the suburbs, okay. I would absolutely say you want to build a team of trainers who are your employees. Yes, that has okay. never changed. Okay, it was a and that was a big discussion in my head all the time about employees, independent contractors, and I don't know if it would have severely affected if I could retain them because it was in where I was, if they were employees, but it could have worked. I, I really don't know. Well, I think the thing for you specifically is, I don't know if it was, it might've been flawed from the beginning. So let's think about it for a minute. And I'm, I'm, I'm not putting you down for your business. What I'm saying it's is- It's fine. I'm open to anything. Well, no. But, I mean, but, but not, but, I'm not running it right now, but I'm always, it's always interesting to hear our thoughts. Well, what, what I'm thinking of is this. So, okay, it's, it's women only. All right. So right away, that's you, half the people are not coming to your place, right? So, <laughs> right, so right. with all the competition, that's a really hard thing to do. I don't, and again, I'd have to know more about your rent. Was right. your rent, were you in an area where it was really expensive? Okay. Right. Did somebody negotiate that rent for you to give mm -hmm. you the best possible chance to be successful? Mm -hmm. What was your pricing structure? Mm. Um, did you sell packs or did you sell programs? I'm a program guy. Okay. I sell program. Mm. If you sell pack, then get back to the, how much am I getting paid for this half hour? Right. Right. There's so many factors, right? Okay. How did you build your team? You know, did you, when you wrote, I'm, I know you sound like a very organized person. I'm sure you wrote a very intricate business plan. How close did you get to your plan? And was it a breathing, moving document that you could change as you went, right? Mm -hmm. When something wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot, 
there's so many factors. Mm -hmm. Like I said early on here today, you, every business is different. Every mm -hmm. single location is different. Okay? Mm -hmm. even, if, even if you're a retro fitness, which is a franchise, it all depends on where you are, who are your clients. There's, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, same thing with Lifetime, same thing with Equinox, same thing with Gold's Gym. You, you know who your, your clients are. Your business has to, has to change a little bit. It's okay. There's, right. You know, still a common thread that's going through there. Yeah. It's making, making people healthier, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. The three things that I thought was interesting kind of getting into your mind of what you first start asking yourself when you look at a gym the business models, you said, you know, how do you build your team? How do you minimize rent? Or how did you negotiate rent? Because that totally is something that affects if you're going to be profitable or not. And then, yeah, how did you how what types of programs do you do? So despite if we're talking about the gym I used to own or anybody else's gym, it sounds like you kind of start asking yourself that part of writing your plan, and you have to see what fits. And then what we do as consultants is we'll do We'll do three scenarios. So once we know about what your rent's going to be and what your model is, we'll put together three different scenarios. Okay, here's our break even. Here's if we're doing pretty good, and here's if we're we're ripping the you know cover off the ball, like we're just we're hitting home runs. Yeah. And you got to know. I'll give you an example. There was a year where studios were starting to run pretty well. And our goal for that year was we wanted to do a million dollars in sales. Mm -hmm. Okay. $83,333. Okay. Mm -hmm. Still have it up here. That's what you have to do every month to hit a million dollars right. in sales. That goes on your whiteboard at the beginning of the month. Yeah. And you just, you, you got to hit your numbers every darn month. And, you know, people don't look at the numbers. Sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll ask for their numbers, whether we're selling their business or evaluating their business. They're like, oh, I'm like six months behind on my P&L. And I say, how is that even possible? I knew every day what we were making. And I knew exactly at the end of the month, were we profitable? Were we hitting our numbers? Mm -hmm. That to me, it, it makes me crazy because yeah. you can't sell your business unless you know what you have yeah and you can't you can't grow your business unless you know where you need to fix it yeah so you mentioned you do three different financial scenarios break even good and home run from your like long experience helping gyms in different sizes different places i don't know if it's possible but could you give me some ideas of what I know, I mean, obviously break even is means you're making nothing, which isn't good. Break even might mean you're paying your bills, basically. You're paying your bills, keeping your head above water. Maybe you're paying yourself a little bit of money, but that, that, that's not a place where you want to be. That's exhausting. Yeah. That's yeah. exhausting. I mean, you know, again, it depends on the business. It depends on the size of the business and it depends on what's possible as far as profitability goes. We'll, we'll sell a franchise gym. They'll have, you know, anywhere between three and 6,000 members. If they have a decent rent, you know, some of these gyms will make, they'll net anywhere between three hundred and $750,000, just one location. So oh. it's not impossible to make a lot of money in the industry. 
Yeah. You know, not that that's the most important thing, but if you're going to work really hard, why not make really good money? Why can't you do both? I don't know. Yeah. I want to talk about this thing about making money. Okay. So I want, can you give me some examples of what good and home run is just because I think that there are some gym owners who are working real hard and they're making some money and they're, they're telling themselves that's good enough. And I think that they could either do better or like, like they're not, they're kind of almost breaking even. Okay. So they're like working real, they're, they're, train so do you, i was wondering Chrissy, if you give us ideas on that mm-hmm. Chrissy, they're gonna burn out because yes. you can't do all the work all the time and not reap any of the benefits you could you know there are some great um technicians there's some great trainers there's some great owners out there but if you're working long hours if you've taken on all the stress of starting your business paying your rent every month, paying your employees, all of your bills. You're exhausted by the end of the week. You're working weekends. Sometimes you're filling in, you're working nights. And then if you're not making a decent living, it just will wear on you. I've seen it hundreds of times. So what is a decent living? Because I want to give someone a number so I can say to them, if you're not making this much, I know they're going to burn out. They're going to sell their gym for nothing, but maybe they could, you know, get help or they should change your strategy, something to give them a call that says, Hey, you could do things differently. That's such a tough question because it depends on, it depends on your lifestyle. It depends on where you are in the country. Right. So where we are on the North in the Northeast, you know, things are not cheap. You know, if you own a property, if you have tax, you know, if you have uh, property taxes, you know, your insurances are high, cost of living is much higher. So, you know, it's hard, it's hard to really say. I'm going to give you an example and then you can give me a number then. Okay. Okay. So let's say we are in near a city that's a little bit going to be like a New Jersey, a Jersey city kind of, so it is, it's not cheap to live there. And then let's say, like, for example, I can even think about the CrossFit gym I used to go to. I went to a couple of times. He seemed like he was doing good. He was charging. Let's make the math. I think it was more like 180, but let's just say he, it was 150. That makes it easier. He said he had about, I think, was it 100 or 200 members? I don't know if they're monthly or they paid in full. And he, he he had a huge space, but he downsized. And, but he was still training, I would say, 25% 25% of the classes. And then he had training. These are fit CrossFit. I think he had some personal training. And so, so, he, you know, he's on, he has a risk cause he has this lease and then he's still training and, and he's, he's pretty much the face and managing. He was a face. I think his face was in the low. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then he had like somebody who helped him with the front desk here and there, you know, hourly, not too much, but you know, I think he, he did have at least maybe two main trainers, but just like in that area, they probably also train at other places because he can't give them full-time hours. So, but he, he seemed like a, a, a decent, like he was making money, but I know he's working hard. He's probably working weekends, writing emails. Trying. So for that, what kind of, how much money do you think a, a person like that? A, yeah, I would think anywhere close to Manhattan where Jersey City is, you got to be making six figures somehow, I would think. Okay. So, so he should be making at least a hundred thousand dollars. I would think so. 
Yeah. Okay. Being the owner. Okay. Now, and again, we'd have to look at the numbers. And you know, you said a hundred or two hundred members. There's a big difference between that at a hundred right. a month, right? And then we'd have mm-hmm. to look at his rent. We'd have to look at the other verticals. We'd have to look at what other revenue streams. Are they doing meal planning? Are they doing nutrition counseling? You know, what mm-hmm. else are they selling? I think you he know, had the-, the kitchen, the kettlebell kitchen he was connected with. But I just wanted to give people an idea if I mean, they were got, in an yeah, urban I mean, area, about, how much money should they be making to consider themselves doing, on average, in, compared to other gyms, good. Did you live in Jersey City? Yeah, I did. Okay, I'm sure the rents were not cheap there. No, yeah, they were not, right? Okay. Yeah. So, you know figure it out. I mean, it's, it's, it depends. And again, it all depends on what part of the country you are. But I think whenever you write your plan, you have to really f- focus on what do I need to get to, to be successful and then execute from there. But you have to have the plan. Most people don't have a plan. They just open up. They think, Oh, I'm a great trainer. I'll open a CrossFit. Okay, great. How much is the rent? Oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. It just, it doesn't work. So you're talking about a numbers plan because I mean, people can have all kinds of plans, but they well, need to have a numbers plan of how many members they need to reach, yeah. what they're going to charge, subscriptions and rent and payroll, right? Like that kind mm-hmm. of. Yes. So let's say somebody was going to buy a franchise gym. We sell a lot of franchise gyms. Okay. And this is a business that is making a significant amount of money and the buyer would like to use SBA financing, so Small Business Association financing, which we have, we have a lot of connections. We actually have a, a banking partner, Reginald Hurd, who does a lot of our bank banking for our gyms. Okay. So we go to him and he looks at the deal, he looks at the financial, we represent the seller, and then we go out to the market and we bring in buyers. So let's say the buyer will call Reggie and and then he'll help them put together their plan to buy the gym. And then they have to build the whole pro forma. They have to then show the bank, okay, this gym is making 300,000 today. How are you gonna grow it from here? So they're gonna have, they will actually do their projections. Well, I'm gonna increase membership. I'm gonna, I'm gonna de- decrease the amount of members that are leaving the gym. We're going to drive more personal training sales. We're going to we're going to do small group training. We're going to build that up, and then they they put a number on that and projections going forward for a few years to show the bank what they're going to do. My point is, you always have to have a plan. Not only should you have a plan so you could get financing, mm-hmm. but you need a plan so you can put it on your whiteboard to see how you're executing and make Mm -hmm. sure you're going to get to your numbers, right? Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask, since you mentioned an example situation with a franchise and you do a lot of franchise and I don't talk about that as much since I was in a franchise, what type of, and this is just getting straight to numbers, like you said, and you said they should have a plan. Let's say they're going to, I'm assuming they're going to buy a franchise that's operating. You mentioned, let's, you threw out the number 300,000, which I know is totally just an example. What should be... What should they expect to see on the PL as percentage of? We're assuming a three. Is that three? That's three hundred thousand in revenue, right? Three hundred thousand in profit. Oh, profit. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. And then how much would 
so let's say it's a franchise, 300,000 in profit in mm-hmm. that scenario, but how much would they, would the seller start kind of list it for? All right. So this, we would probably list that for somewhere around four times what that profit was. So about a million two, one million two hundred thousand. Okay. Uh-huh. So four times, four, four multiple. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then that means, and then 300,000, what would you assume their revenue to be? Again, depends on what part of the country, because your rent is going to be your, your biggest factor. And so that would vary, but it would probably be north of a million dollars in sales. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. And mm-hmm. let's pretend I'm going to guess not definitely not everyone's near the listeners are near New York city or in that type of range. They could be in a good suburban area. So let's pretend that's this more of the situation. So if they're making a million of more than a million dollars um, in sales, about how much would you recommend their rent to be range? I mean, rule of thumb is probably no more than 20% of revenue ballpark. That's a ballpark number. Some are a little higher, but somewhere in that range. Okay. So no more than 20. And then how about payroll? What percentage of that? Payroll is a little trickier because it depends. All right. So you have your, your core payroll, which means just like management, cleaning, front desk people, classes. So those are more fixed, right? But that payroll can go up depending on how much personal training you're doing. So those numbers get skewed a little bit, right? Yeah. But probably in the, in the 20, 20, 25%, I would say in that ballpark, maybe, maybe a little bit higher depending on the model. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes they're too high. So no, I've, I went into a gym and, and evaluated it, and it's a great gym. I mean, they were they were doing two million in sales. Well, yeah. But they, but they weren't profitable. So that meaning it cost them two million to run it. So mm-hmm. you're doing yeah. a lot of work, and you're not getting the benefit. So when you look under the hood, rent the the uh, rent to revenue ratio was not good. And the payroll was way out of line. There are a lot of positions that really needed to be cut for that business to be successful. And it's not that I want somebody to lose their job, but if it's a redundant job, we don't need it. At the end of the day, we are a for-profit. That's the part people need to remember, for-profit. We want to do good work. We want to help people. And we want to be profitable because that means we can continue to do this, right? Yeah. Okay. So I had, I wanted to, I definitely still want to get to the types of gyms you see being most profitable and, and most likely to sell. So you mentioned there's the value gyms, uh, then there's the high-end gyms. You also mentioned franchises, and I'm very curious, I, since they're a range between low and, you know, like, what do you, like, if you, if you, if, if someone came to you and said, I'm thinking about an opening a gym, I definitely want it to be profitable <laughs> and I would right. love to sell it in five years. Drive your plan. And let's just imagine they, they have been a trainer. So they kind of have some experience, like a little bit, but they're okay with being a manager and then eventually hiring a manager. I mean, I would think it's less important that they were a trainer and more important that they had some business savvy. 
I think okay. that would go a lot further than anything. And if you can get the combination of both, that would be great, mm -hmm. right? Far yeah. and few between, though, unfortunately. Trainers train, and occasionally, even on the hiring side, you know, you had the, you had you know difficulty, you had challenges hiring mm -hmm. good trainers. You know, it's even more so when you look at entrepreneurs who either want to be trainers or trainers who want to be entrepreneurs, I should say. Because a lot of times they're very focused on helping their clients, but they never took the time to learn the business side. Now we can help them a lot with that, but inherently I think you have to have some business sense before you go into these things. So again, because we're now, all right, so I'll give you an example. So uh, somewhere around 20% of the U.S. population work out in health clubs. Now, that number varies, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. Some okay. say 23, 24, 20%. We're just going to use 20 for our, for our argument's sake. Okay. Christy, that number hasn't gone up that much. It hasn't gone up much over the years. So you would mm -hmm. think, okay. But since 2008, mm -hmm. are there more or less gyms? <laughs> <laughs> more gyms. Exactly. So if we're, if the market share really hasn't gone up all that much, mm -hmm. but yet there are a ton more opportunities or places for you to go, everybody's fighting over the market share. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Planet Fitness, everybody in the industry wants to, they want to say, oh, Planet Fitness, they're horrible. $10 a month. They give you pizza and bagels, blah, blah, blah. They have 2,000 locations. So obviously Planet Fitness is doing something right. So what they did was they went after the marginal exerciser, okay, and, and built it up at a price point where they're probably not even going to cancel even if they don't go. What's 10 or $20 a month, right? Not a big mm -hmm. deal. But I forget what the slogan is. I think it's no judgment. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, if you're not a fitness enthusiast, gyms can be intimidating. So they, it was, it's brilliant. It was a brilliant idea. They made everybody feel comfortable when they went to the gym. There was no judgment. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, probably powerlifters and bodybuilders are not going to want to go there because you can't drop the weights, but who cares? They have plenty of other places to go. That's my point. So you can't look at that and say it wasn't successful. It was hugely successful. So that opened up the value gym area. Okay. Mm -hmm. The problem is 12 years later, that space is a little crowded now. So getting back to the point of, well, I think, I think a value gym can still be good. Okay. If, if that's what you, if you want an open gym model, I still think that could be good, but you got to be careful. You got to look in your, in your demographic and see, really be pick very wisely what the rent is, what your competition is and why are you going to be different once you get in there? But I think, I think what happens is, and this happens with, you know, just generally in business, you get boom and bust. So we've been through the boom part. Right. I think in the gym industry right now, we're getting some consolidation and some gyms are closing. I won't get into the names, but there are four or five big names that are probably very close to bankruptcy and may go into bankruptcy. They may come out of it and be leaner and meaner. That's, I mean, we've, I've seen this many, many times, but my point is when there's oversupply, it has to happen. And I don't want anybody to lose their business, but sometimes it just has to happen. 
And, mm-hmm. and what happens is the, the strong get stronger because they've endured and the other businesses go away. And sometimes that's just a natural progression that has to happen for the most part. Mm-hmm. So you, when you say a couple of uh, large brands are going to close, you're talking about franchise brands? Well, not the franchise, but the, the corporations themselves. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's been out there. So Gold's Gym, mm-hmm. the, they closed 30 of their corporate stores, the ones that they own. Mm-hmm. And they are now in Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The franchises are fine. Franchises are thriving. Matter of fact, we just sold the Gold's Gym in Teterboro, New Jersey. Great gym, by the way. Great gym. The you there uh, you could look on LinkedIn and you'll see 24-hour fitness, um, town sports. These are companies that are very leveraged and they may have to go into bankruptcy. Crunch Fitness went into bankruptcy. I think it was in 2013. They came out leaner and meaner and they're doing quite well right now because they're, they're selling franchises now. So it's not that I'm putting down one franchise or another. It's just a matter of, I think you're, you're having consolidation sometimes is needed, especially if the number of participants isn't really going up that much. It's just half of the equation, right? Supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Okay. So someone hears that and let's, let's imagine they have some business sense. Let's also imagine because for example, I wasn't, I, I didn't go into the gym business as a personal trainer. I had opened, had a tennis school before and I love to exercise. So, and let's say average savings of them, this person says, okay, I'm going to get together my savings, going to mortgage my house or something. Okay. So let's just say they don't have a huge budget, but like it's, let's say 150,000 or two, I guess I'm guessing that's their savings. Maybe you might say they can also get a loan, but. Well, can, can we speak to that for a minute? Yeah, I'd love to. Cause I, I, have, a, I have a great example. Okay. okay. All right. So is working with a young couple who wanted to buy a gym. Okay. They both, they were in, one was in sales and one was in the corporate world. Love them. Really great couple. They, where they brought a deal to me. They said, Hey, you know, what do you have to sell? We didn't have anything that really fit their needs at the time. They wanted to be in a certain part of the state. Would you look at this deal for me? So I looked at it. I didn't think it was very good for them. And they, they had about 300,000 saved. So they were really bright, smart, young couple somewhere in that ballpark might've been 250, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And the gym that they were looking to buy was around that but it wasn't profitable. So spend 250 on a gym, pay cash for it, and maybe it works. And maybe it doesn't. That's all your life savings. My suggestion was buy something that's already netting 250 or 300,000, leverage that money. Let me introduce you to our SBA banker. So typically you can get in one of these gyms for about 20% down or even less. Hmm. So let's just use a million dollars as, as a round number, 20%, 20, 200, $200,000. Mm-hmm. You can buy a business that's now making two or 300,000 in profit. And the SBA program, Christy is a 10 year program. So you get to pay that off over time hmm. and then let your business pay your debt down and you get paid in the meantime. So my point is, I, because I looked at them as a couple, they were bright, 
they didn't really know the gym business, but they were smart people. My consultant hat changed the hat for a minute was I would tell you to take that same amount of money and leverage up and buy something that's successful opposed to something that might not work. Mm-hmm. Does that make, does that make that sense? That is big tip because that's a big tip because I mean, I think everyone thinks, why don't I take, I don't, I think every gym owner I've met, cause I like to talk to them. If I go to another place, how did you, sure. you know, and everyone I've met so far has basically said, what's my life savings? What can I buy with my savings? And they just go with it. And it's most of the, it, it could be like a new business or they, you know, they buy it. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. And, and so, but again, you have to, so for us, you know, because we broker these gyms, mm-hmm. but we don't broker anything else. We're very specific to this industry. So we, mm-hmm. we do nothing else. So if we're that focused on it, when I meet with somebody, I'm going to get a, have a pretty good idea what's going to be a good fit for them and what's not. I may steer them away from something that they think they want to do. You know, they can listen or not, but I want to make sure that I'm putting something, somebody in the right opportunities for them to be successful. Mm-hmm. That's very important to me going forward. Mm-hmm. Two questions. Is there any gyms, gym models? It doesn't have to be a franchise or not, but you know, then there's the Pilates model and then there, those are, those could be tough because of the high cost with the equipment and then, but maybe right in certain years, but is there any model uh, that's around that you would you just don't recommend like you just see it very difficult to be profitable i think they all can be good depending on the operator i also think that if you can get get involved with a franchise that tells you well you're not going to make that much money with one you better do five of these i would run like the wind Mm. And I won't give an exact example, but <laughs> but I've heard I've heard that enough. That scares me because if you're coming from out of the industry, first of all, and they're telling you I have to do five of these when I haven't even been able to do one successfully, I'm a yeah. little nervous already. Right? Well, that's a lot of capital. It's a lot of capital, and you know. So I think, you know, again, it, it, the most important thing is to kind of match the buyer with the right opportunity and you'll never go wrong. I think that's really what, what the best thing is. You're not dis, you're not unrecommending certain models such I'm as. Not. Okay. I'm not because I, I have very good friends that we've helped with. They've become friends and we've helped them on the consulting side and they own a Pilates studio. They may own, you know, kicks, kickboxing facilities. Okay. That's their passion. I can't tell them, you know, not to do a business with your passion, but what I can do, work on those projections, have them hone their business skills mm-hmm. so that they can make their passion a profitable entity. Then, then it's a win-win, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you recommend franchises? Gener- do you generally recommend people to go with franchises versus kind of well, maybe buying one of those non, like a mom and pop? Well, and we, and we sell both, but okay. you know, all right. So the, the easier answer is if you would like to use SBA financing, mm-hmm. then a franchise is easier because they are quote unquote franchise approved. I see. Meaning they already have a relationship with the SBA. So they've kind of passed the test and they mm-hmm. usually have a significant amount of stores open, which is less risk for the bank. So that's the way the bank looks at it. Mm-hmm. That being said, there are some very successful 
very successful gyms that are, you know, owned by, you know, one person or a family. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it all, every, every deal is a little bit different, but I think if you want to use SBA financing, the path of least resistance is a franchise. Okay. And, and I like the benefits of the franchise. I think the question is the fear of that overhead. I mean, that additional cost to the franchise fee. So most, most franchises are usually are going to be somewhere around 5% of revenue. Mm-hmm. And then there's maybe a 2% advertising fund, which is kind of mm-hmm. a synergistic fund, whereas the entire franchise will, will market the, the name. So mm-hmm. the reason you buy a franchise is the brand awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Retro fitness, red and yellow equipment, right? They're a value gym, very Northeast centric. They are breaking out a little bit now, but you know the colors. Same thing with Planet Fit. This is you fit in the South, have certain colors. You know, there's a brand, you know, awareness. I remember a few years back, you ever go to the PNC Center, which I think is in Homedale, New Jersey for concerts? I haven't. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing when we can actually go out to a concert again in life. Yeah. It's an outdoor place. It's, it's covered, but it's kind of outdoor, great for the summer. And a few years back, Retro Fitness was one of the major sponsors. I mean, you would have thought that this place was called Retro Fitness. There were so many signs. Yeah. So my point is, and again, we're not specific to retro. We've sold a lot of retros, but my, only because they're in New Jersey. Based, they started in New Jersey. But any brand or any franchise, you know, if they have great brand awareness, I think that's helpful. Then you're also working with, you know, business coaches and inside the franchise that will help you along the way. A lot of them use ABC Financial, which is, you know, does a lot of their billing and their collections. So mm. it's very uniform. So they're easier, those are much easier to value because the numbers are fairly easy to look at, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there are advantages to both. I think you just got to look at them case by case. Now, if you said, hey, I want to open, I want to have 10 gyms in 10 years, then you should probably look at a franchise because those opportunities are going to come up a little bit. And once you get the hang of it, then let's say you get up to three locations, then you can bring in an area director, you have somebody who kind of oversees three of them and it goes from there. Mm-hmm. So, and it, and it sounds like what you're saying, I just want to remind the listeners is the benefit with having the franchise and then being able to scale to area directors. You've really created a lot of value now because you have managers and then you have a manager managing the manager. And now the person who buys it thinks I never have to do anything. <laughs> well, you have to, you still have to, you always have to oversee it. Right. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes. The point is you're yeah. not, you're not, most owners can be home on the computer looking at every gym, right? Mm-hmm. Basically there's cameras yeah. so you can see everything. So it doesn't yeah. even so. Yeah. 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 Okay. So to summarize evaluation, we won't even get into area director because that's, but let's say they have a manager and we would, one way to value the gym is just to take the profit and times it by two or three times. And that's about three to four, three to four, three to four, depending on the opportunity. Right. So it all really depends on if the growth potential. Well, and, and the trajectory. So let's say a gym is, is growing then you're going to get a higher multiple. Okay. If the gym is, if the gym is, 
you know, year over year, the numbers are lower, then that's a negotiation. Is there a great lease in place? So for example, if somebody negotiated a really good lease, like Matthew Mead, who works with us, what happens is you, that's a benefit. So let's say over the next three years, the rent doesn't go up, you might pay up a little bit more for that. But if the rent accelerates big time over the next couple of years, a buyer might have take a pause with that. So yeah. it really depends on the situation because go back to the industry. What are your two biggest expenses? You'll hear me say this a million times, rent and payroll, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. And then, so a lot of people, unfortunately, are not going to be in the situation where there is a manager in place. And we talked about the, from the, the start was about example person makes $5,000, trains a little bit, and it's a small thing. So they're kind of pretty much managing it. Do you just, let's assume, let's just, let's say $1,000 of sales is going to this, is from the head trainer who owns a gym. So let's just say it's really, let's say they end up taking that as a salary. So now let's say it's really $4,000, not including the trainer owner's trainings, but there's no manager. So that's only $48,000. Are you saying if you were to hire a manager, you could barely, you know, are you saying what, what would, how would you value that? Because there's trainers who don't mind that situation who might want to buy this gym. Well, they might want to buy the gym, but what role would they take? Would they go in and train the clients? So like what we talked about before, if, if Christy was selling her studio and she had a book of business, could we get her a consulting contract for three to six months to transition the buyer so Mm -hmm. that would keep the price a little bit higher because the buyer would then feel comfortable that those clients were going to stay right so i know i keep going back to that but i think that's really important when you're buying a smaller business right The, the the buyer remember we always have to look at it from the other side so the buyer has to be comfortable with what they're buying and mm-hmm. you're not going to get a deal on your, or you're not going to get a good price for your place. Mm-hmm. So if we can create that value by the owner staying on in some capacity, then we can, we wouldn't have to discount it as much for sure. Oh, okay. So let's say the person agrees to stay on or the trainer. I mean, they, they're going to assume that they still get paid for the training that they do Is that like, right. <laughs> and then- or, or yes, you know, they'll probably, again, it may be a combination. They stay on and train. It would depend if who was coming in might be a trainer and they may transition those clients and that would be mm-hmm. much easier too. So mm-hmm. those, those, again, it's case by case. And then it's always a negotiation because one thing you've learned if you if you sold a business is right. if either the buyer or the seller both the buyer and the seller have to be slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> then that's <laughs> the right price. Right. Because if one is really comfortable, it's probably not going to work. You won't get to the finish line. Yeah. So everybody has to feel a little bit of pain to get to the right number. Like they're not fully getting what they want, but they're compromising. That's what you mean? Well, everything is a compromise. And so you're so saying both sides why, should be compromising. Right. Well, that's my job. My okay. job is to be the buffer and to make sure that the buyer and the seller both see that for this to be a fair deal, here's the number. And mm-hmm. then we work from there. Because mm-hmm. if it's not fair, any little bump in the road is going to cause it to fall off. I've seen it too many times. Yeah. You have to be fair. And you always yeah. have to look at it. 
even though we represent the seller, we probably have more arguments with the seller, the person we're, we're representing, because they have to be fair. And I'm constantly talking to them about that. You have to be fair. Right. If you want to sell your business, be fair, and we're going to get a great deal for you. Mm-hmm. So. so if they, the, the example person is, let's take it from five to $4,000, let's just say, we're going to say a thousand goes to um, the owner. And you said, okay, so they, they agree to stay on to make the buyer feel comfortable. Would, and so now they're making about 48000 in in net income at the end of the year. Would you, let's make the number 50, let's just say, would you multiply that? You, you could still multiply by that by three to four or what's the- Yeah, multiple? I would say probably closer to three for a studio like that would probably mm-hmm. be about right. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. That is really helpful. I think that's, that's interesting. So everyone start to get a manager or, or well, try to- or, or teach. You got to teach your people and yeah. then, you know, build your business and don't be- and don't have the ego and think that you're the best trainer in the world. Even if you are, go work for somebody else if that's what you want to do. If you want to build a business, you have to be the best teacher in the world. Hmm. I like that. Hey, thanks for listening. Oh, I have three freebies. Number one, get your full edited transcription with bullet points of the key lessons from today's show on our website, fitnesssecrets.co. That's fitnesssecrets with an S at the end.co. While you're there, subscribe to our newsletter, which gets you access to our monthly freebie marketing and operations content that you can use for your own fitness business. Freebie number two. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to the show in your podcast player by hitting the subscribe button. Since the show happens because of listeners like you, could you also leave a review? If you email us your review at support at fitnessecrets.co, you'll receive a complimentary one-hour coaching call with me and a $150 credit towards the first challenge that we will be releasing soon. Finally, freebie number three. We started the Fitness Secrets Facebook group. I know thinking and designing of new marketing campaigns, planning out your operations each month for your fitness clients is exhausting. Our goal is for the group to help you plan out your marketing, plan out your operations so you can get more clients efficiently. To join, go to facebook.com and search Fitness Business Secrets. Thanks so much for listening. I can't wait to talk to you in the next episode.